On this episode of Comedy Rewind, is Dumb and Dumber the perfect 90s comedy? Does Jeff Daniels' performance hold up even better than Jim Carrey's? Do they even make movies like this one anymore? All of this and more on Comedy Rewind. 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 Push Rewind. I thought this was a comedy show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to Comedy Rewind. We are talking Dumb and Dumber, and I'm here, John O'Peck. Joined by two guys who can triple stamp and double stamp. It's Beard and Beardier, Benny McJadden and Brendan White. How you fellas doing? <laughs> Pretty good. Doing great, thank you. <laughs> Who, who's Beardier at the moment? Uh, we, we both go through different yeah. stages of Beardier each. I think you might have it at the moment, Benny. Maybe. A bit more length. Challenge accepted. <laughs> but it's got a bit of like the grey in there that adds a bit of depth and texture. So, I don't know. Oh yeah, he's had that salt and pepper guy yeah. for a long time. It's all good. Uh, so we're here to talk about what I think is a smart movie about dumb people. And I know that it has a very special place in my heart. And I want to know, what was your background with Dumb and Dumber? As a, I guess a movie that we all probably grew up with. It's 25 years old now. It is um, it is one of the touchstones of my childhood. Like It mm. is one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time to this day. Yep. And... Like obviously, if I didn't watch it at such a young age, it probably wouldn't have had the impact that it did on me. But just at that time, it was '94. I was eight years old. Dumb jokes, farts, poos, dead animals, all that kind of stuff. Like it was just the perfect gateway movie for me yeah. into that sort of teen, early adulthood comedic styling, and yeah. uh, into that Farrelly Brothers universe. And I love it. I love everything about this movie and I can still watch it now and still laugh my ass off even though I know exactly what's going to happen at every single scene and every line and it's just the best. It's one of the best comedies in my in my universe at least of all time. Did you watch it at the cinema? Like do you have it remember the first time you saw it? My mum took me uh to the cinema to watch this, so it's oh. it's got a nice memory there. I had the bucket of popcorn at the the Kuma <laughs> I think it was called the Kuma Twin Cinemas, but it was only one cinema because the other one sort of broke. So <laughs> I remember sitting these hard-ass, stiff wooden chairs. Cinema screens probably not much bigger than my television screen these days. Uh, <laughs> with with the, with the big old Coke and the big old popcorn and just laughing my head off right from the opening scenes, uh, you know, limo driving and cracking them bad Aussie accents all the way to the end credits. And um, yeah. it was just a hell of a ride. Yeah. How about you, Benny? I, I'm pretty similar vein. Like it was the the tambourine uh, cinemas for me, <laughs> and we we didn't only not only had the wooden chairs, we also had like they had like deck chairs, and a lot of people would bring their own pillows and stuff to the cinemas <laughs> and things like that. So I remember seeing this in the cinemas as well. Um, it's actually the same place I saw the mask because I was a big Jim Carrey fan as a yeah. young kid. Um, like after Ace Ventura, the mask, and then this one. So I did see the mask and this at the cinemas and that's the sort of memory it brings instills in me is like just watching it, just watching it back as well. Like, cause it has been a really long time since I've seen it and hmm. going, Oh shit, I forgot this was in this movie. Oh, this was from this movie too. Oh wow. There's a, a lot of these memories just come flooding back and yeah, it was, it was such a trip just to rewatch it. Um, yeah. yeah, huge part of my childhood. And like, like I said, I was a big Jim Carrey fan as a, as a young kid hmm. and, um, yeah, I think this was eleven. I was eleven when this came out, so I just I just remembered this and 
all the other Jim Carrey films, and that's what stands out to me is the Jim Carrey side of the film, not so much the mm. Jeff Daniels. They just kind of lump together. Yeah, yeah, they all do clump together a bit. But then rewatching it now as an adult and watching a little bit more of the Jeff Daniels side of the story and paying a little bit more attention as an attention as an adult. Yeah, just it was really actually really a clever clever movie about really dumb people, and a lot of the jokes are really dumb jokes. But they're yeah. very cleverly done. It's a, it's a, it's a weird dynamic and, yeah, of it's like, fun, fun. it's easy to write it off as just like a stupid movie, stupid Jim Carrey being over the top. But mm. no, it, it is actually really clever. And the jokes, I think it, uh, there's a lot of great plays on words and there's a lot of great like malapropisms yeah. where people are like saying, like they're saying an expression, but they're screwing it up, you know, like t- tea and strumpets or yeah. whatever it might be. So I, I'm much similar to Brendan. Like this is a movie that's very close to me. I was a bit older when I saw it, I don't think it was until maybe I was like maybe 10 or 11 years old because I wasn't probably allowed to go see it. But I remember my dad laughing his head off watching a movie in the living room when I was in bed and finding out that it was Dumb and Dumber. And like my grandpa, you know, just, just this is so stupid, but laughing nonstop as well. Old and grandpa pick. Like rewatching it the other night, I laughed out loud so much and I just took me back to like hearing my dad from the the other room you know it's just a movie that i have watched every few years if not like when i was younger all the time so like brendan it's it's something that's always kind of just been there always appreciated it and i've kind of like bonded with people Mm. who appreciated it as well and that will continue throughout this podcast i think so it's uh as you said benny it was a really amazing run for jim carrey this was like kind of oh, yeah. his first year of being a Hollywood star, Pet Detective, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, back to back in 1994. First person to lead three movies to number one in a row, or in one year, I should say, mm. which I don't even know if anyone else would have done it since then. It's such a rare thing that they all just released at the same time. I'd, but... I'd say he probably still owns that record. Like I can't think of many yeah. sort of AAA Hollywood celebs that have done three movies in one year let alone mm. two these days so yeah it's uh besides the rock really oh, at the yeah. moment, but i can't say he's had three number ones that's in a, a good year. call actually the rock but outside mm. of that yeah yeah but it, it really would take the perfect storm for it to happen i think and that's what, mm. what happened for him just reading some background on it like when they were in negotiations to make this movie his salary was something like 750 grand and then these other movies came out and he's like hmm, actually i'll take seven million dollars and that was almost half the budget for the entire movie yeah and did you hear what um like jeff daniels got paid 50 grand yeah. for this movie <laughs> he got 50 grand yeah. and jim carrey got seven million like it's insane. it's insane did you hear the story behind that difference how they didn't want to cast him yeah, they, they, the studio was like, we don't want him. He's not a comedian. He's obviously known for these dramatic roles. So mm. even though Jim Carrey and the Farrelly brothers are big fans of his, we're going to lowball him. And his agent like begged him not to take it, said like Jim Carrey's going to like run away with it and you're not going to be able to keep up with him or whatever it might be. But he is so good in this film. And I think, you know, like Benny said, Jim Carrey's what stands out when you're a kid. But then as you grow older... And maybe it's because you've seen Jeff Daniels in things like The Newsroom or Looper or whatever else. Like he was in The Martian. He's the head of playing the head of NASA, one of the smartest people in the world. Yeah. And then you see him in this, and it's like, yeah, he he really got into that role. He it looked like watching it back. I reckon he had a lot of fun playing that oh, role, yeah. and it was probably just a refreshing change of pace for him as well. Mm. 
just the scenes with the the frostbite on the frost tongue on the um on the ski lift and then the diarrhea scene as well later on as well like he's just like playing those scenes i reckon he just had an absolute ball Mm. doing it yeah absolutely and it's so against type for him to do this Mm. kind of movie and there's a story where he was playing golf and and clint eastwood came up to him and said i saw dumb and dumber and he was kind of like oh no like what's he gonna say yeah he's like that toilet scene was the funniest thing I've ever seen. The exact same thing happened to me on a date and the toilet broke and I didn't know what to do. So it's it's something that he's known for despite this like history of, of dramatic roles and just the way he, he dives straight into it. He really holds his own next to Jim Carrey. Like, oh yeah, it's so easy to get lost into that black hole of like charismatic, over-the-top, chewing the scenery. Mm. So the, the, uh, the rest of the cast is mostly just kind of supporting what these guys are doing in terms of the humor there's not really any jokes that come from outside of of these guys but you've got lauren holly there as uh, mary swanson and jim carrey had a brief marriage with her uh, mike Starr played joe Mentalino, aka the gas man yeah. and he's one of those character actors that you've just mm. seen kind of pop up in everything he's he's in everything yeah, he's, and he's, he's brilliant in, he's in all these little roles that he does yeah like he's yeah he's, he's just great been on like chicago fire and west wing yeah. and the office and you've seen him probably on like house and all kinds of soap operas uh but yeah as, as i mentioned before 17 million dollars this movie cost to make jim carrey pocketed seven million of that it made 247 million so you can see why after this he could kind of write his own ticket and mm. um, just do pretty much whatever he wanted as far as comedies go. The last episode we did, I talked about uh, Adam Sandler going on kind of a crazy run, but this Jim Carrey run is even more impressive. Apart from Ace, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber, he followed it up with Batman Forever, which, you know, it's a Batman movie, so regardless of, of whether it's good or bad. Then another Ace Ventura movie, The Cable Guy, Liar Liar, The Truman Show, Man on the Moon, all... I think quite rewatchable movies that we mm. could pretty much cover on this podcast if we wanted to. You know what was on last night? Like, um, to sorry to interrupt there, but Bruce sorry. Almighty was on last night, and oh, so yeah. we watched that uh, again. And even that just holds up really well. Like, it's it's nowhere near mm. as old as '94. I think it might be like 2002 or 2003. Yeah, yeah it's early 2000s. But it's it's bang on, and, and even like Steve Carell was known as Stephen Carell back then because that was sort <laughs> yeah. of one of his first roles. And <laughs> yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, the comedic timing between him and Jim Carrey in a few of those scenes is impeccable as well. That's a uh, a good kind of segue into what have you done for me lately? So Jim Carrey has kind of gone off the deep end. There's been some really interesting like red carpet interviews and stuff where he just goes into some philosophical diatribe about things that are way beyond my comprehension. But did you guys watch uh, the show Kidding? It's on Stan in Australia. I really enjoyed it's, it. Um, it's no. heavy. It is really heavy. Like, um, I, I don't know if if you know much about the show, but he's hmm. sort of a... Kids uh, entertainer. Yeah, a, a kids entertainer. Uh, his family are involved in a car crash and they lose their son. Mm. and so him and his wife are separated and he's now in a single bedroom little sweat box still trying to keep it together and act this facade as this happy sunshine rainbows child entertainer but then behind it there's this real dramatic layer and and you don't really see him do many of these dramatic performances out of um what was that movie i mean he's done quite a few like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind there's um truman show is a comedy but it has a lot of dramatic acting chops in there and uh, man on the moon's yeah. the 
Uh, it's a good hybrid one as well. Probably. But and then kidding yeah. is more along those lines where it, it's funny, but he's also got this kind of there's a darker edge to it. And he had that phase mm-hmm. where he tried to kind of prove himself as a dramatic actor. And I think that you know he has definitely got a lot of ability it's just not really what people want to see from him i think like number 14 or whatever that movie's called that's the one i was thinking uh uh, number four i think it's number 23 yeah Yeah. i I actually really enjoyed that movie too i like that movie a lot but yeah apart from apart from that show that tv show it's um and, and i guess the fact that he's doing a tv show is another big departure for him but Dumb and Dumber 2 came out five years ago. I don't uh, want to talk was, about that, really. Uh, um, I will mention it later because Ugh. it's relevant to this somehow. But Sonic the Hedgehog, we've got to look forward to. Dr. Yeah, Robotnik. Dr. Robotnik. <laughs> My God. Mm. I'm excited because it looks like we're going to see a bit of uh, sort of tour de form, like nostalgic Jim Carrey mm. with his facial animations and he's just over the top, dialed to 1,000 Jim Carreyness again, so... Yeah, it's literally the sort of role where he can be that cartoon character yeah, again. Yeah. Yeah. He's played a few actual cartoon characters as well. Oh yeah, um, Jeff Daniels has probably had a better career as late. You know, I mentioned The Martian, The Newsroom. He's quite good in. He's at the moment, I think, doing a pretty uh, well-received run as Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. That's like a, a, a stage show that's getting a lot of praise. So he's still uh, putting in those those hard yards and getting some critical acclaim the others in this movie i mentioned uh the gas man being a pretty steady actor but i haven't seen any of the other cast really pop up in anything substantial so they're probably not worth jumping into does anyone want to hazard a guess as to the number one song when this movie released in late 1994 94 i'm thinking it's gonna be some kind of real shitty rock like radio mm. rock type of song uh, number one it's it's the end of, it's the end of the grunge era uh, I, I don't think we would 90- have seen any nirvana or faith no more no because kurt cobain was well and truly dead by that stage can, can i say like ace um, of bass you can say whatever you want <laughs> i'm gonna say an ace of bass song like that all that she wants is another baby song. Yeah, okay. Well, the answer is Here Comes the Hot Stepper by Ina Kamose. Ah, oh, I've got that on my Spotify yeah. playlist. <laughs> Which is great because it's, like it's like it's a reggae kind of hip-hop song and there's a few of those tracks in this movie as well, so it's it's fairly mm. appropriate. That's the one. <laughs> do, do you want to guess the uh, Rotten Tomatoes percentage for this one? Oh, looking at how it was received at the time it was actually really well praised from what i remember at the time i'm i'm gonna go with somewhere around 73 mm-hmm. i was i was gonna say 70 that's a good guess because it was 67 Oof. Ah! so it's kind of just scraping over the, the line as, as fresh there. i'll take the price but, of price yeah, is right price is right rules you you take the you take the money, but we'll get into the, the questions now. So, what was the most nineties moment of this film for you guys? This is a tough one for me because there's just like I think it's nine. Obviously, it was set in the nineties, but it's just a definitive nineties film from front to back. Mm. Like, mm. I think the one that comes to mind for me the most is just those vibrant ass blue and orange tuxedos. Yes. Yeah, they roll into the um that the sort of the endangered owl species benefit. Yeah, for some reason, I just think that's 
definitive 90s because I remember having a pair of pretty pretty bright, insane orange shorts and I think of like hypercolor <laughs> and mm. things like that as a 90s yeah. kid. So, it's very so, Nickelodeon-ish or yeah. something like that, so, isn't it? So I'm going to hedge my... I'm going to sort of double down on the, on the tuxes with that just insane color palette. I, I'm going to say probably the most 90s thing about it is the soundtrack. Yeah. yeah, Because um, the soundtrack in it is the songs that really are from that time period mm. and a lot of them were what we'd consider indie bands now realistically coming up and coming indie bands it, it kind of has that same sort of vibe watching it back yeah. i was like wow it, like listening to the soundtrack is man this is a really good soundtrack it is i remember that merry moon song or yeah. whatever it was <laughs> that's so good i use that on the comedy rewind trailer because it, it like you said it just feels like the 90s and yeah there's like there are a couple of songs like Pretty Woman by Roy Orbison and oh yeah there's there's a few the, songs that you know, aren't really the dream but, sequence has like an, an old 60s song but for the most part like all the music when they're driving the car or they're in cafes mm. and that kind of thing they're all these like rock tunes or pop tunes from the 90s and yeah, yeah. It, it, I was a big listener of the official soundtrack for this movie over the over the years and I still really appreciate all the tunes on there uh, even though it didn't have Boom Shaka Laka the kind of that opening track which that is really just so 90s to me that's a real rude boy yeah sort of song absolutely i love that stuff my most 90s moments i had driving around looking for jobs at the start of the movie like that's just something that wouldn't happen now like they'll you know they're like i can't believe we spent all day looking for jobs and there's nothing like you just pull out the app the phone app and you'd, you'd scroll through the other thing was getting lost as they were driving. That also wouldn't happen with yeah. the use of, of GPSs and, and Google Maps. And it's good because it reminds me when I first started driving and you guys are a little bit older than me, so I'm sure you can relate, of having to like pull out the map. For us in Victoria, it was the Melways. I don't know what it was up. We had the Gregory's. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it's like, you know, G7 and having to like pull over to the side of the road and be like, where the heck am I? Like that was yeah. something that's just not an issue anymore. Thank goodness. It's very true. It's one of those things. Yeah. Um, try explaining to someone how you used to look at a map and they just look at you with blank eyes. Mm. Driving halfway across the, the country, a sixth of the way across the country. I, yeah. I've done that as well using a map. <laughs> Going the wrong way. Yeah, felt that way. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> All right. So we've mentioned a couple of them already, but what do you think is the most iconic scene in Dumb and Dumber? I don't know if you can narrow this down just to one. Like there yeah. is just scene after scene in this. We'll have some contenders, yeah. Yeah, like like as Benny mentioned, the whole snow mm. scene uh, just cracks me up. Like when she joyfully throws a snowball <laughs> at him and he just <laughs> winds just one up. nails her. Know, just cold yeah. clocks her right in the face. And it uh, does the crash tackle as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite scenes is um, when they're interviewing the, when they sell the, Petey the parakeet yeah. to uh, to Billy, <laughs> and they're like, "I just thought he was really quiet." <laughs> like that gets me pretty every birdie. single pretty time. Birdie. It's a great callback to like a joke from pretty much the start of the movie as yeah. well. Like just a great way to bring it around. Yeah, yeah. But toilet scene as well. Like yeah. as Benny said, mm. um, that explosive diarrhea, and then and then when uh, Mary's like, "Harry, you okay?" It's like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm just shaving." <laughs> yeah. and she's just like, "Oh." And that mo- right, that no moment worries. where it's like, "I hope you 
you know the toilet's broken i hope you haven't used it yeah and like that moment of horror like i think we've all experienced that in one form mm. or another that guilt whether it's like a, a toilet that doesn't want to cooperate yeah. or, or whatever it might be just just like oh what am i gonna do how am i gonna hide this mm. yeah, yeah yeah i think i think there's a couple of other ones that really stand out to me is at the fundraising dinner with the mm. birds and the um mm-hmm. Uh, Harry's talking to uh, Mary and he's yeah. talking about how they bred dogs and he crossbreeds the bulldog with the shih tzu. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he goes, we called it a bullshit. That joke stuck with me throughout my entire teenage years. Yeah. And you know what? If I still had the opportunity to use it today, I would. Because it's a fucking fantastic joke. Yeah. yeah. And the way he laughs at it like instantly yeah. and just cracks up. Yes, yeah. it's so perfect. And even the lead-in joke before that, when he's like, "Oh, nice to meet you." Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so oh. you mentioned it there, the the ballroom scene. Mm. I think if you're talking iconic, like the image that just comes to your head when you think of this movie, it is those guys in the tuxedos, the fluoro, fluoro tuxedos, you know, yeah. turning up and like sword fighting, and then like trying to act all classy mm. and. And then he's like, time out. And then yeah. he just wails him on the back of the legs. Yeah. Everything about that is, is so good. Like spraying the mouth spray in the guy's eye. Yeah. And then like telling Harry to tell Mary that he has a rapist wit. Like, it's just <laughs> yeah. like, like that scene. And like, I'm just going to stay at the bar and put out the vibe. There's so many good lines. Actually, I love the bit where he's doing the whole standing at the bar thing. And there's that one <laughs> bit where he's leaning over the bar. He's got like the jacket from the tuxedo up over his ass he's re- purposely putting the ass out i'm like man that is a go-to move if ever i saw one i love it because i was like yeah. watching the movie and I'm like this is the movie where he does the thing with the bar i'm sure this is in this one and it came up and i was like yes i knew it was from here but oh i love that bit yeah, absolutely another one i want to give mention to is the car scene when they've got mental in there and yes. they're like hey you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world and it's I have that on that... here too because that is so good. and like that's an ad-libbed line apparently you can see like Jeff Daniels laughing as it comes <laughs> out, of, out of his mouth <laughs> yeah but I I think another one that's really good is the um, the cop pulling him over with after he's uh, yeah, pissed in bottles. all the beer bottles <laughs> Um, but even the lead into that where he's like pull over and he's like no it's a cardigan but thanks for noticing (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's brilliant but um i think the most iconic movie and maybe it's because we're australian is right at the very start with the fake australian accent and i like it a lot and all that sort of stuff and especially because we are australian it stands out so much to us because yeah. every you can do that I like a lot Austria, thing in the Austria and Australia joke. It, it's an old joke, but everyone in Australia knows it. Yeah, and yeah, I think that just stands out to us. That's a good contender, mm. absolutely. Aside from I think the the tuxedos being like a visual that stands out to me is the dream sequence. Oh, something yeah. that, and I think it might be like you know I mentioned like my early memories of this film. I think the earliest could actually be the where I actually saw it with my own eyes was someone on a talk show, whether it was like Jim Carrey on Oprah or something, but they played that clip of him doing the like kung fu scene where he like is <laughs> acting like an idiot and like like a like one of the three stooges or something, and then he rips out that guy's heart like. That sequence always cracks me up. Puts it in the doggy bag. Yeah. 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 But even like his, like it's his dream. That's like what's going on inside his head and his interpretation of like a date going well with Mary. And he like trying to impress her with, by farting into a a, a cigarette lighter. It's just a really good insight into how his head ticks. 
It's kind of scary too because old Lloyd Christmas, he's got like murderous tendencies in both his dream sequences. <laughs> yeah. Like at the end as well, where he where he guns down Mary's husband. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> we'll get to that. We will get to that for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, are there, are there any other iconic scenes? I don't know about iconic, but iconic visuals is oh. the dog van. Oh yes, we have to mention the dog like, van. Like as a visual gag, it just works every time. Yeah. Especially at the start when he's late to get to the the dog show yeah. and it's just getting air over those huge jumps. Yeah. Like mm. this thing's getting like two feet off the ground and he's feeding the actual dogs giant <laughs> foot long hot dogs and everything else. And then even um, Harry's how he's in the dog costume as yeah. well. I think my it's just my favorite visual perfect. with the van is when he's. Um, filling it with petrol and it starts to just like spill everywhere and the leg is like lifted up like a yeah. dog would cock its leg to, to ha- take a slash like that gets me <laughs> yeah and, and then there was like the whole like oh nice skis and he's like they're yours she's like yeah both like, of them <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great yeah. it's just amazing that they both kind of seem to have a chance with that chick I, I guess she's undercover like following them you figure out by yeah. the end of it the FBI agent mm. but yeah, that's great. So what holds up the best? Because like for me, I tend to agree with you, Brendan, like this movie just holds up all around. Like it's it's hard to pinpoint something, but I think it's it's still funny. Like it's still everything it set out to do back then still works for me now. I think it's just the synergy and that comedic timing mm. between um, Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels. I think they were just like, even though everyone seemed to be so resistant of getting Jeff Daniels mm. in this role, like, he was made to play Harry Dunn. Like, they just bounce off each other so well. And it's just a joyride from front to back. Like, I love those two in every scene together, even when they're sort of standing on their own. Obviously, Jim Carrey's a bloody tour de force comedically, but Jeff Daniels does brilliantly in some of his mm. solo scenes. And I think it's just that that timing. It's um, yeah. lightning in a bottle. Yeah, 100% lightning in a bottle. I, I think overall as well, the overarching story of the film. Yeah, it's that's something I kind of skipped over. Like it's, it's, it's a movie with an actual plot. Mm. There's a hopeless romance, there's a friendship, mistaken identity. It's a road trip movie. There's love triangle. You know, they're returning lost property. It's got everything. Yeah, it, it's got all these different little tropes and storylines that yeah. all crisscross all throughout it. The stuff with Seabass is like a little revenge plot sort of thing almost. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, that's right. Uh, and callback jokes galore throughout the entire film. Um, they, they accidentally kill someone too. I can't believe we didn't mention that in, in most iconic scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like squeezing the mustard and the sauce yeah. into their mouths to <laughs> cool down. The hot yeah. peppers always gets me yeah. like absolutely laughing out yeah. loud. Pills are good. Yeah. And then they rat poison him, and then yeah, they they're like on the run for murder. Yeah, like, <laughs> they seem to just like pay their bill and go. Essentially, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So while we're still talking about what holds up the best, I'm sick and tired of having to eke my way through life. That dramatic scene, mm. kind of at the start of the movie, that sets up everything to come. That is so important to this movie working for me. You know, the I'm, I'm sick and tired of being a nobody i'm sick and tired of having nobody like that is really the first time i think we as as fans of jim carrey's comedy saw a glimpse of what he was capable of Mm. dramatically and that really is the heart of the film is without that scene you probably don't have any empathy for these guys who are kind of they screw each other over and they are very juvenile and immature but that scene kind of gives you a bit of sympathy towards them and wanting to see them yeah. succeed and i think it's it's just really a linchpin because i mentioned 
the film which shall not be mentioned, the sequel, it doesn't have a scene like that and it doesn't have the heart that this movie has because of it and it suffers so much. Yeah, that sequel just flat out sucks. I haven't seen it because I heard so many bad things. I'm like, I don't want it to ruin the feeling of the original at all, so I will not. Mm. I just refuse to watch it. I mean, it it did. I thought it had some decent jokes, mm. and it, it, they're playing the same characters. It's these same actors that we're praising right now playing those characters. So I feel like it it really was a missed opportunity to land. And my belief is that it's because it didn't have a scene like that that showed you that these people aren't just idiots yeah. they're people they're, they're lovable idiots like that scene and them hugging and harry saying you know let it all out okay that's enough like yeah it's just that just sets up the, the rest of it for me and i i missed that in the sequel so that's all we're, we're gonna say about dumb and dumber 2 <laughs> did you did you ever watch the the prequel where they had them as young when they yeah. first met it it is also it, it's very bad. Fire of a film and yeah. the short-lived cartoon was yeah. also kind of crappy i remember watching that and even though i was a big fan i was like i don't need to like get the tv guide out and circle this mm. like i'm not gonna go out of my way to see this again so what holds up the worst i had a really hard time <laughs> sort of brainstorming this and putting ideas down like and as it stands right now like on my notes i've still got a question mark because yeah, ma- maybe I, I just i just adore this movie too much but like everything like the capsule that this movie exists in mm. carries itself well into our into present day, in my opinion. Yeah. Like there's nothing that's unrelatable to anybody. Like obviously there's no reliance on technology in this mm. film, but like outside of that, it's relatable themes. Like, you know, following your heart, feeling down and out. Yes, being a little bit dumb, having a joke with your mates, just randomly jumping in the car and going on adventures. Like I think there's a, there's a sort of themes and inspirations and touchstones that are in everybody's life throughout you know, the nineties, the early noughties and, and now to present day. Yeah. I was talking to my brother, Dan about this and it was really hard to think of something that doesn't hold up because they weren't concerned with being as, as, as Dan mentioned, culturally relevant. Like they were never trying oh, no. to be cool. They were never trying to be fashionable or hip. So all those things aren't an issue now. Like you look at the clothes they're wearing or whatever it might be. And like, yeah, I can still imagine people, like these characters who aren't cool or aren't trying to be cool talking like that or looking like that or living like that yeah i I think like the most and it it really does harken back to the 90s side of things as well even a little bit 80s too too with the whole hypercolor stuff but like that's probably like the one thing from a fashion point that seem would seem out of place today is like the ski outfit that Harry wears when they're going skiing and things like that. I don't know. Like people wear some crazy stuff. They, they do indeed. They do indeed. But I'm, my point being that, like, yeah. in, in terms of being at, out of place to today, that's yeah. probably the most out of place thing. The rest of it all holds up really, really well because there isn't anything besides maybe like a couple of those little fashion choices. That there's nothing else there that really wouldn't f- sit in a film today at yeah. all like you could you could write a very similar sort of comedy film today and it, it would it'd be comparable it yeah may, maybe maybe like a um a dog car's just got like a new vinyl wrap on as opposed to like a faux, <laughs> faux fur dog fur <laughs> yeah. yeah a faux fur wrap but outside of that it's real nitpicky yeah, i think you have yeah. to be really nitpicky i mean if yeah. you want to get into fashion like nicholas the kind of the villain of the movie is wearing some bad super baggy suits oh yeah th- those suits those are pretty scenes. bad yeah <laughs> like really baggy pants that's a, always a sign of like the 90s i, I think, think there was the the uh the bucket hat was the girl with the skis 
the FBI agent. Mm. She was wearing a bucket oh, hat, yeah. I think, in that scene. <laughs> and smoking at the petrol station as well, which, oh, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a good point. I, I didn't... I did notice there was a few scenes of people smoking, mm. which stood out to me because it's such a, you know, it's such a choice to do it now. Yeah. Whereas back then it was just a natural thing. Well, I didn't really notice it so much with like everyone else. It was more just that one scene because it's like you're smoking mm. at the pump, virtually like she's pulled yeah, up next yeah. to the pump. <laughs> I got yelled at through the PA system the other day for looking at my phone as I was yeah. pumping oh, really? petrol. Jeez. I'm like, come on, man! Like Mythbusters did that. My, my, it's going to yeah. self tick over when it gets full. But yeah, this chick was just a bitch. They always are. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about fashion, so I should say, like, I think Mary's outfits hold up really well in this film. Like, she still looks really good all the time, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. I had a little bit of a crush on her in the early '90s from this movie. Oh, you'd have I think, to. Mm. Yeah. I think she might have like transitioned into like NYPD Blue or something like uh, that probably. after this. And yeah, I don't know. It was just that. That ginger fire. I was just like, hello. I didn't know what I was feeling at the time, but yeah. looking back at it now, it's like, yeah, a little yeah, bit of a crush on now, Lauren, yeah. Lauren Holly. Before we move on, and we're talking about outfits, you got to give a shout out to the outfits that they wear post opening the briefcase and getting all this money. Yeah. They're all classics, like Jim Carrey's kind of cowboy outfit mm-hmm. that he wears. And, and he walks in sort of stiff yeah. elbow. Yeah. And yeah, he's With got the, the tassels hanging, hanging off and the gloves. Yeah, and Harry's kind of denim outfit that he's wearing in the in the diarrhea scene. It's all good. And when they, of course, when they get out of the Lamborghini or the whatever the, the it is for the first time, go up. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, yeah. So this might be a bit easier to answer or harder depending on on your view. But who would be the most offended by this film if it came out in 2019? Peter. <laughs> Peter. <laughs> well, I didn't have something that holds up badly. I did have a few answers here. You think Peter, is that based on the bird scene or the dog well, scene? <laughs> it's like the opening scenes, he's feeding servo hot dogs, two dogs mm. in the back of a car. The dogs aren't strapped down. They're sliding around for real. Mm. Yeah, they are sliding around for real. Um, <laughs> Petey, Petey the parakeet getting decapitated and then on sold to a blind kid. And then obviously an endangered owl getting killed by a wine cork. Like <laughs> animals were not treated very kindly in this movie. Yeah. That's absolutely... I mean, all of those examples, apart from the dog sliding around, you can quite easily see that it's like props and uh, prosthetics or whatever it might be. But it's not sending a, a good message, I guess. From the Peter perspective, it doesn't take much to put them offside. Nah. The vision impaired could be a, a, a little touchy about the blind kid getting duped and, and ripped off. But <laughs> this is the thing about this movie. It's it's a, called Dumb and Dumber and mm. it's about two idiots. So they can kind of get away with it, with doing these stupid things and it not being held up as... They're not role models. They're not, you know, trying to pass this off or normalize any of what they're doing. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any... And I'm just trying to think of the jokes. I don't think there's any jokes that are overtly racist or sexist either. No. Yeah. Like, all the jokes are pretty dumb and simple jokes. And I think that's why it works on so many levels Mm. and is so clever and easily enjoyed. There is this idea, I suppose, that the two characters are essentially vying for this woman Mm. as somewhat of an object to be one. Like, Lloyd even says, I had that old-fashioned feeling where I'd do anything to bone her. And it's, it's completely over-sexualized, romanticized view of what she's going to do for him. Yeah. Like she's going to plug us into the social pipeline. And, and they're both kind of fighting for her without any knowledge that she's actually interested in them. That's something that... It's a stupid comedy, so it's pretty silly to look too much into it. But I can see people getting upset about it these days. Yeah, yeah just like objectifying the, the, lead, the lead female actress. 
Simpler times. Yeah. Simpler times, the 90s. Shooting the husband in his fantasy when things don't work <laughs> out is a kind of another little indication that, uh, you know, maybe maybe she's an object that he's, he feels some kind of ownership over. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Mary Samsonite. <laughs> Mary Samsonite. <laughs> I was way off. That joke was lost on me for so long oh, as a yeah. kid because I didn't know Samsonite was <laughs> a, like a suitcase and luggage uh, brand. Yeah, I think it took till the internet era when I could actually look up that joke I, I think there's actually a lot of jokes that were probably lost on us as a kid because i was watching like i i don't know if i picked up on it when i was younger but watching it back i was like oh wow they say pussy a lot in this film as well <laughs> like i didn't even it never clicked with me before i was like oh they've said that quite a bit for the most part though the humor is fairly it's fairly accessible yeah, like you guys watched it as kids it's easily digestible yeah and there's there's not like there's not a reliance on swearing no. to to like be funny or sexual jokes even though there's a few innuendos in there it's not the like super bad or like that type of gross out no. humor even what we've probably seen from you know your Seth Rogen movies and that kind of thing so I like I like that it's kind of a PG movie one that you can think like oh I'm yeah. gonna sit my kids down one day and watch this together yeah. and we're gonna have a good laugh and I don't have to like answer any curly questions halfway through no, I, I i think yeah you're right it's just easily digestible mm, it's fairly wholesome yeah i mean i'm sure there's going to be plenty of people who would not like the uh bikini girl scene right at the end of the film either yeah. these days but the best <laughs> shit that's a good scene as far as i was concerned <laughs> yeah i think i put that scene on rewind and replay it a few times as a kid <laughs> not surprised <laughs> So does Dumb and Dumber pass the internet relevancy test? Does it live on through memes and gifs? I think so. I think there's I think memes so. Out like there. there's so many quotable lines yeah. that just the three of us alone just know straight off the like mm. off the top of our head, you know? Like there's lines that I still use to this day and, and I use that most annoying sound in the world <laughs> for, for many, many, many years after watching this movie. And yeah, I, I think it's it's still extremely mm. relevant. Some of the some of the iconic scenes, some of the iconic quotes. Yeah, I, I think it stacks up. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a few that get used on the internet and social media quite a bit. Like you're telling me there's a chance that's something that people will throw out there. That's probably the biggest one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's the, the, I like it a lot as well. Yeah, yeah that one's definitely. A big one. The, the clip of Jim Carrey, like, kind of throwing up, but not throwing up, like, trying yeah, to... Yeah, when he region. sees Harry from yeah. behind the bushes. Yeah, you see that get used quite a bit. And even just, like, the title, Dumb and Dumber, that's been kind of taken... It gets used a lot in the media, mm. in headlines, or, like, captions with... You might have, like, Donald Trump and his, like, you know, his equivalent in the U- UK at the moment, and, and, like... Or George Bush and John Howard, like, whatever it was, people would, like, tend to throw that out there, or they'd Photoshop the faces on Harry and Lloyd. Yeah. Would smartphones and social media ruin the plot of this movie? It would certainly make it a lot shorter, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like they could just Google Mary, Mary whatever. Samsonite. Yeah. And, and and it would pop up. You'd probably see a few dozen news articles about her husband being held hostage. But I, I guess they kind of kept it under wraps now, I think about Maybe it. Maybe it wouldn't they? get kept yeah. under wraps these days. Yeah, like live leak and everything else. It it'd be all over the internet pretty quickly. So I think that, and at the same time, what you alluded to at the start about how they drove around all day looking for a job, they yeah. could just jump onto even Blake Craigslist, get something cash <laughs> in hand, have some jobs and maybe have no desire to go to Aspen, yeah. just hang yeah. out. 
pay the bills so the gas man doesn't get them. <laughs> yeah, well, the the scene with the gas man and the payphone that wouldn't happen yeah, at all. That was great. I, st- I actually really enjoyed that scene. Watching get it off too. the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the the most obvious thing is that uh, Lloyd would have just gone back to his employer and said, "Can you please give me the mobile number of my last customer?" And I'm going to call her or look her up on uh, LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever it is and say, oh, I've got your bag. And that's kind of the end of it. So, yeah, she's like, oh, yeah, no worries. Just just leave it at XYZ. Yeah. The end. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's, I guess, the challenge. Like making a modern movie without those things. It's I guess we, we live in times where we have to incorporate social media into our, our stories and our plots and it opens up other opportunities. So it, I think that it wouldn't necessarily ruin the movie. It just changes it. Yeah. So speaking of that, do you think you could actually make the movie in 2019? Like we've talked about how it holds up, the humor's still accessible. What would be the 2019 version? Uh, like, like sadly, just knowing how Hollywood is, it would probably be some Adam Sandler, Kevin Hart Netflix <laughs> special and be an absolute <sighs> dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, but trying to recast this and change some of the plot points to make it relevant and believable in this day and age, it's it's kind of tough. Like. Yeah, as things we alluded to the social media the getting the boss to get the mm. to get the number for Mary maybe you could change it up and I don't know maybe he just wants to do a good deed and, and surprise her with the package or something so he, he travels across country because he still loves sick so you could still weave that modern day romance into it but I don't know who you'd get to play these characters like I thought about it and I can't think of two guys mm. that would fit these roles and, and do it justice I think Andy Samberg you could throw in there, maybe. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm thinking off the top of my head, but, yeah, it, it's definitely harder. I mean, and, like, a guy like Jeff Daniels, is he, he completely came out of left field, so maybe there's a dramatic actor out there that... Idris Elba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Benny? I don't know if I'd really want to remake. I don't think you should, and I don't, I don't think there's a way you could do it this year. I think it sits perfectly in its little 90s bubble and that's it they essentially they essentially re tried to remake it with the sequel and it exactly it it didn't work it didn't translate properly um like i said i haven't seen this the sequel so i can't really comment too much but from they did essentially try to remake it using the same cast as well so if it wasn't going to work for a sequel it's sure it sure as hell isn't going to work for a Mm. reboot but in a world where the movie never happened do you think that it would come out today and be successful because I, th- I think it would. I think, I think if the Farrelly brothers wrote another mil- movie of a similar vein, which they have done several other films yeah. since. Yeah, I-, I could see them doing well or even Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, mm. that sort of combination. James sort of Franco. Similar- yeah. James Franco. James that Franco. Sort of, Franco yeah. That super bad tone. Yeah. Like with this, mm. but maybe water it down ever so slightly. I yeah. think that could certainly work. It's hard to. It's just hard to picture though, because it's you, no. it's almost impossible to separate it from Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey, because they they are Harry and Lloyd, and it's just so much of it that works is because of them. So, as much as it's easy to think, like I can see a world where Seth Rogen or Jonah Hill or whoever is is in this movie instead. It's hard. It's a difficult thing to to come up with. Yeah, it's so much of the movie you'd have to change to the suit. I think it'll lose some of its appeal from the, whole, especially the whole road trip arc of the film. Mm. Like the yeah. the road trip in itself is something that feels like a kind of pre two thousands thing. Just like, when yeah. I think you couldn't get any stupider, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you went and completely redeemed yourself. <laughs> so 
And I think like air travel is so cheap now that you just get a flight across the country too. Yeah. yeah. Like too. I don't know what flights were back in the mid nineties, but I'm assuming it would be similar. Like flying around America for you know we've both been over there. It's not too expensive to get um, you know internal flights. How about that airport security though? Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, when he's like, "Sir, you can't go in there." It's like, "It's okay, I'm a limo driver." <laughs> Straight off the freaking <laughs> bridge. It's definitely like a pre nine eleven thing because he doesn't go through any like no X-ray security machines. checkpoints or anything. Nah, we, just, we've all been through them, so you know. yeah. He just it's just like parks his car outside, mm. <laughs> jumps out, and then he's straight on to the to the essentially the tarmac. Yeah, the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award. We got some nominees here. I got Cam Neely, who plays Seabass. Harland Williams, he's the state trooper. You might remember him from Half Baked. He was the hitchhiker in There's Something About Mary. And this was his first film. Victoria Rowell, or Rowell, she plays Beth, the FBI agent. There's not a lot of good, like, or, or substantial supporting roles. I think it's hard to go past Seabass for me. Yeah, Seabass was fantastic. Um, yeah, just that little mini arc that they have there with the obviously the beating in the toilet and then the full circle, and they obviously take a take a lot of liberties with his uh, his tab at the diner. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, he actually comes like spoilers, Benny, but he comes back as and plays Seabass again in the sequel. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. So he cameos <laughs> in the sequel, but yeah, the the supporting cast is pretty. Like they're nowhere near as memorable as, as the mm. two leads, and they haven't really done much since. So, yeah, yeah. I think I'm, I'm thinking like half baked for Harlan Williams, and that's really about it. Mm. Yeah, um, the um the guy that plays the the barman at the hotel where Jim Carrey's waiting, he's been in a few few roles. Um, he one that comes to mind is where he's the sort of the transgender uh, hostess in Shallow How. Okay, another Farrelly Brothers. Yeah, he was in uh, Me, Myself, and Irene as well. Yeah, yeah. They they keep this is one of I guess one of those original sort of comedic clicks that you're yeah. seeing now. And I mean, Harlan Williams is really good as that state trooper. Like he really hams it up. Like yeah, sucking back on Grandpa's old cough medicine and and like <laughs> his reaction, his reaction to drinking visceral is yeah, like when so he's sort of like good. But. Yeah, his his mouth is sort of like cracking. He's like. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to give it to Seabass, but I think we can give it to Harlan Williams. I think he's the spark plug. So yeah. get the hell out of here. He comes in for for two seconds and just he does a good job. He, he just steals that entire yeah. scene. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's great. Killer boots, man. <laughs> <laughs> Last question: Is this still a good movie? And I think we all tend to agree that it is. Yeah, slam dunk. Yes, slam yeah, dunk. 100%. Game 100%. over. Buzzer beater. One of the best comedies that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Would you go as far to say that they don't make movies like this anymore? Yes. Yeah. I, I think that yeah. it's it's hard to get a, a movie, like we said before, like that kind of like PG, you know, 13, whatever it is, mm. film that isn't completely full of like penis jokes and like drug references or sex scenes or whatever it is. It's It's just kind of, you know, there's some innuendos in there, as I mentioned before, but it's for the most part, pretty wholesome fun. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a perfect way to summarize it, I think. Like it's we won't see a comedy like this again, I don't think, or it'd be extremely rare mm. to to see yeah. something try and as you said, land that wholesome feel to it from front to back and and make it relatable for kids, for teens, for adults. And you know, now we're sort of not quite early adults, but 
you know, becoming middle-aged and whatever else, and it's still hilarious. It's yeah. still great. And that's kind of something that's going to come up a bit in these 90s movies, I think, is like mm. your kind of Robin Williams, Adam Sandler. The, the style of humor, I guess, at the time was like, let's make something that's fun for the whole family. And that's something that maybe yeah. isn't so much a concern now. There's definitely a, a really big market for kids' movies that... Like it's it's more of your kind of your Pixar. That's kind of their area of making family movies and like Lego movies, stuff like that. So it's less yeah. like let's give out, let's give seven million dollars to this comedian to to make a movie for the family. God, I love this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking like I'm trying to think of recent movies that are sort of in that same sort of vein. Where uh, the one that comes to mind is Hot Rod a little bit. Yeah, that's, um, that's, I mean, that's kind of feels like a 90s movie though. It's, it's, it has it's a even very like, 90s film vibe to it, yeah. but even though it came out in what, late 2000s? I reckon it is even like 12 years old at least by this point Yeah, too. but like it's it's got that same sort of 90s vibe mm. and everything like that. It's exactly and it wasn't a big feeling. hit either, that's the thing. No, but it wasn't compared to yeah. what this was. This one was just a massive hit. It, yeah. I, again, it's just due to the standout year Jim Carrey had had. That name alone just, it drew, it drew big. It did. We did have some questions come in about the movie from Twitter, but we've pretty much answered them all already, so I won't go into them again. But thank you and shout out to DJ Payne and Matt Tilby for sending those in. This is the time to shout out our Patreon producers. We won't be doing this every week, but I thought we did it in episode one. This show exists because of these guys and, and the other patrons out there chipping in their hard-earned dosh to, to make it happen as a stretch goal. So I'll give them another round of shout outs and maybe periodically through future episodes too so thank you very much to aaron lukasak andrew natoli anthony florida chris nelson colin sparling dan peck dan vumbacher howard smith jared howard josh enor liam hart logan wilkinson matthew perkins t dag nathan tilly laurie pete's and screamus light applause thank you all very much you are saints who deserve big cuddles big kisses and big beers mm. yeah thanks for making it all possible absolutely and it's been so much fun like we've recorded this is gonna air the second but we've recorded three of these now and i'm having so much fun doing it so thanks to you guys for being part of it thank you to the listeners out there for getting into it and and giving us your feedback and and seemingly enjoying it too if you are enjoying it i hope that you can take some time to leave an itunes review those are helping us get out there a little bit more getting up the algorithm i think that itunes is kind of reworking what they're doing at the moment so there's a chance that we have a possibility to, to work our way up those charts so that'd be really cool that'd be really great to see if you can help us out with that you'll be able to catch us next week with or n- next episode with clerks i'm going to be watching re-watching that with the uh, bitstorm boys and that's we've already recorded that actually and it oh, went really well so my favorite part is berserker <laughs> <laughs> we definitely talked about that if you want to have your say you can let us know what you think on twitter brendan is at brendan 8bit benny is at the spawny 13 i'm at johnny himself thank you for joining us this has been comedy rewind and as always dear listeners be kind we've landed on the moon <laughs>